Coding and artificial intelligence. These are things, I'm just going to admit it, I don't know a ton about, except for what I learned in the classic movies like 2001 and WALL-E and uh, Cherry 2000, maybe Buckaroo Banzai. I also know Elon Musk warns us of the perils of AI, of artificial intelligence. So I did a little digging in preparation for this podcast, and I found this article in the MIT Technology Review, which sounds super smart. Uh, the article is called, Keynes Was Wrong, Gen Z Will Have It Worse. In the article, they quote a warehouse worker whose entire work life was run by AI. Uh, they quote him as saying, the AI is your boss, your boss's boss, and your boss's boss's boss. It sets the target productivity rates, the shift quotas, and the division of labor on the floor. Ultimately, what this means to you is that you'll rarely work with the same people twice. You'll be isolated, put on random tasks from shift to shift, slog for stowing or sorting or picking or packing rates well exceeding your average because your supervisor told you so and the program told him before that. The article goes on to say that rather than relieving workers from toil, improvements in technology grind out their efficiencies by molding laborers into unreasonable shapes. Across departments, Amazon workers report being forced by the circumstances of their jobs to urinate in bottles and trash cans. Using layers of subcontracting agreements, the largest firms insulate themselves from responsibility, and I'm, I'm assuming also urine, just gross, uh, to and for their largest wage workers. Recent investigations in Amazon's last mile shipping reveal exhausted drivers whose required carelessness has, predictably, been known to kill people. The company remains, as far as the business community is concerned, exemplary. Okay, that's quite a setup and a bit dark, a little negative. I get it. Gen Z and Gen Alpha, yeah, maybe they're well and truly screwed and in search of the last drop of profitable produ productivity, profitable productivity, they'll be ground to bits by the uncaring dictates of AI algorithms. Or... Or, or, or maybe, just maybe, a new generation that grows up as native speakers, so to speak, as, as fluent coders who can fluidly shape and create and mold the electronic world around them will craft better, more humane systems than the current comparatively clunky keyboard clackers. <laughs> and maybe kids growing up being taught how to code from a young, young age, how to develop and work with artificial intelligence just they'll see more organic ways to use these tools to benefit rather than dominate one another. And that, that right there, that's where our super nice guest, Jennifer Turlock from Maker Kids comes in. She's passionate about education, about kids, about preparing them with all the right tools to build a better future. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Wired, Fast Company, Forbes, Harvard Case Study, and more. She attended Singularity University at NASA, at NASA? I went to school at NASA. How cool is that? Where'd you go to college? I went to NASA, uh, where she learned how to apply exponential technology to education. Despite her youth, her career accolades are lengthy, and she's here today with us as founder and CEO of Maker Kids, the first makerspace for kids in the world. She's going to explain, we'll talk about how you can get your kids started right now, today, in coding, robotics, AI, even if they're as young as six months old. Okay, maybe it's six years old. 
I think it's six. It could be six. I mean, a six-month-old. Yeah, okay, it's six years old. And how coding is a creative pursuit that they can start right now, proven to boost self-esteem and help struggling kids, especially during COVID. A lot of kids are struggling. A lot of young teens. This this Maker Kids is a cool thing to check out. You got kids? You curious about the future? Okay, then listen up. Oh, I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and this is the Nice Work Podcast, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, a club dedicated to making the world 10% nicer by every means necessary. You can join us by finding us on Instagram, Facebook, or hitting us up on Super Nice Club on um, what's the thing where you talk with the chat box thing that's hot right now. Um, I don't even remember what it's called. Anyway, uh, you get details about our mission to make the world just a clubhouse. Yeah, you can, yeah. Find me on there and then that's us. Anyway, Clubhouse. We can get details about our mission to make the world just 10% nicer. Kind of blowing this intro. It's okay. You can also join the Super Nice Club Insider community where you'll get invited to events, giveaways, local gatherings, and a lot more. Actually, we just give away a lot of cool stuff. We just text you and say, hey, do you want this cool thing? And you text back and then we send it to you. All you have to do is text MAKER right now to 310-421-0393. 3104210393 gave away like four shirts and 10 books last week. And if you like this podcast, will you pretty please subscribe, pass it on, send it to friends, post it up on your socials, all that. It helps. It really does. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Before we get to Jennifer, one quick shout out to this episode's anti-sponsor, the Post Carbon Institute. Post Carbon Institute is a think tank that is leading the transition to a more resilient, equitable, sustainable world. Their fellows are the world's leaders in a wide range of subject matters from um, top of my head here, freshwater, uh, resource scarcity, population, social justice, climate, fossil fuels, economy, and and pretty much every facet of human culture. Check them out, postcarbon.org. Check out their sister site, resilience.org. And and if you really want to prepare yourself for what's ahead in, in an increasingly uncertain world, if COVID is taught us anything, check out their Think Resilience course about which a New York Times writer says, the world is flooded with information about our nanosecond in planetary history and the mess we've made of it. What's much harder to find is a clear, cogent depiction of the much, much bigger picture. That's what we got from the Think Resilience videos, the context of everything. It colors everything I've read since about the climate and our future. And damn, if we're going to have a nicer future, we have to know everything. We need this cogent depiction right? Anyway, that's our anti-sponsor. Anti-sponsors don't pay anything. Forget paid sponsors. Super nice club. Members in good standing. We will get behind your business, your efforts. Just holler. I'd like to thank all of you members, all of you listeners for listening, supporting the podcast, for getting behind the idea of making the world a nicer place, even if it's just going to be a world filled with robots, all right? Let's, let's have it be robots and, and, and trees, pretty healthy trees, all right? All right. You ready? Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Jennifer Turlock. Jennifer, Jennifer Turlock, welcome to Nice Work. Really great to have you on today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Where is here for you? Somewhere in Canada? Yeah, I'm based in Toronto, Canada. I love Toronto. Toronto is a great city. Do you feel that way about it? Yeah, I love it. It's so I've lived in a couple of different places and it's just so multicultural and uh, so beautiful. There's really great nature and a great cultural scene. 
And is Maker Kids also based in Toronto? Yes, we are. Yeah, we have a location okay. in the west end of Toronto as well as a franchise in the north end. But now since we're operating virtually, uh, we actually have kids coming from all over the world to our virtual programs. Your timing right now for Maker Kids, I would just imagine with COVID going on right now and everybody looking for things for their kids to do, that you just must have a huge surge. Yeah, definitely. It seems like there's a lot of parents who are, you know, at home with their kids and wondering what they can do with their kids. I remember, you know, March 13th, 2020, that that day where everything started to happen and close, I started getting calls from parents. At that time, they were saying, oh, I'm going to be stuck at home with my kid for three weeks. What am I going to do? Now, of course, we're almost a year (laughs) into things. And we feel really fortunate to have been able to provide to families a way for their kids to safely socialize and get enrichment. So we've had families that have been with us that whole time virtually, as well as many others that are looking for opportunities for their kids and all the soft skills that come along with it, like confidence, social skills, resilience. That's such an important thing right now, these social skills that a lot of us are worried about. I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, right? And so they're divorced from their schools and their friends and everything. And a lot of kids are spending so much time on screens. And a lot of parents, myself included, you know, we're really resistant to giving in to that ultimate babysitter, right? Because there's so much, it's so much of a passive situation. Even when they're using games like Roblox to chat with their friends at the same time. So there is a social aspect to it, which makes it seem like, well, that's okay. You know, you're playing a game, but you're also talking to your friends. What you're doing seems like the whole next level. They get to do socializing. They get to have fun because Mm -hmm. you gamify some of this stuff, right? And they get to learn at the same time. Pretty darn cool. Let's back up, though, because I think we're losing people who don't really know what Maker Kids is and what it does. I was just excited when you started talking about, I'm like, yeah, I want my kids to be doing this. So what a great, what a great idea. Tell me about Maker Kids. When you started it, the name of the dog that's walking behind you with a leech attached to its neck? Sure. So Maker Kids got started in 2010 in a garage and progressed to a space in 2012 and moved in 2015 into a new space. And basically, Maker Kids runs camps, programs, and parties on coding, robotics, and Minecraft for kids ages 6 to 13. And we use those as a medium to help kids develop confidence, social skills, resilience, and a positive relationship with technology. So kids have gone on to start businesses, win prizes from NASA, as well as have many positive mental health outcomes. And we've even had children's mental health professionals refer kids to us because of the results that they've seen. Amazing. Uh, from NASA, prizes from NASA. What, are they entering coding and robotics competitions? Does NASA have a, a contest? Yeah, there was a robotics competition that one of the students from our robotics class entered mm-hmm. called the Space Apps Challenge. And he created a concept for a rover that could move around Mars. And he won the People's Choice Award for that. That is so cool. I noticed mm-hmm. that you that you did duck one question which is the name of the dog. That's oh, right sorry, now. I forgot that. <laughs> so my dog's name is Lexi, and she is my canine coworker. You know, I'm working here in the kids, what is normally the kids' classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's just hanging out with me 
it's been her and I in here since last March. So, yep. Will she respond if I say, hey, Lexi? Lexi, hey, what's up? Anything? <laughs> I've just got my headphones in. Oh, that's so right. That doesn't work. She can't hear you. <laughs> okay, so when you started out, did Maker Kids have an online learning component or were you in the classroom that I see behind you? So we've always been in the classroom. We always thought mm -hmm. about doing virtual classes and thought maybe that would be a future thing many years down the line. And then when COVID hit, we basically moved to online within a weekend. And we had about mm. three days where we weren't offering anything in person or virtual, but then we were where mm -hmm. we were preparing everything quickly. And then since then we've been fully virtual. So we moved all the kids that were coming in person to virtual classes. Most wanted to stick with us, which was awesome. And now we've had many kids start with us for the first time virtually. And you mentioned that you have a, did you say a, another location? So you have a second location. Is that a franchise location? That's right. Okay. Yep. So you have a franchise model. That's pretty interesting. What does the franchise model look like? So basically they get the rights to open a Maker Kids location, access mm -hmm. all our curriculum, as well as all our operations manuals and using our trademark in exchange for their franchise fee and royalties. Mm -hmm. So our first franchisee has been extremely successful, including during COVID, which has been great. So it's like it's like a CrossFit box, basically, right? Something like, like that, yeah. CrossFit for coders. Okay, I like it. I think you could do like a daily wad where you have to, uh, you know, have coding challenges at the different... No. Okay. Maybe that doesn't work. Just an idea. Throwing it out there. You can use it if you want. Thanks. Yeah. So... How old, some of these kids have come in, it's been a few years that you've been around now, right? Yep. So have you seen some of these kids become young adults and kind of, have you gotten any that have started up in college yet or getting their careers going? How far have you seen some of your protégés advance so far? Absolutely. It's been really great to see some of the kids progress from a young age to moving on to, you know going to a special technical high school and specializing mm -hmm. in robotics or even going to university as a computer science student. And we've even had former maker kids become instructors with us. For example, we have a fellow named Patrick who was a participant in our maker kids programs, who's now one of the instructors mm -hmm. for our Leaside franchise. And in his spare time, he loves, 3D printing and building robotic inventions and all sorts of things. So it's been amazing to see some of the progressions that kids have made in their lives. What's the hottest sort of part of your curriculum? Is it coding or robotics or the, the, the would you say is it Roblox or Minecraft? Minecraft. Coding is our most popular topic, closely followed by Minecraft. Okay. Kids love Minecraft, really? and it's a really cool way to leverage that interest as a gateway to get them interested in other topics mm -hmm. like coding, electronics, and so forth, all of which you can learn within Minecraft. What about mining? I mean, Canada has a lot of mines, right? Like for coal and stuff. Is, is, there, is there a gateway there to like a, a mining future? Because I've seen the game. They use the, the pickaxe and everything. It might. You know, what really does translate is there's a lot of precious metals and such that are referenced in the game, like lapis lazuli. <laughs> That's true. And sometimes we, well, when we were running in-person classes, 
we would actually leverage Minecraft as a way to get kids to want to go outside. For a lot of kids, sometimes like our, our going to the park part of the day, which is a typical part of our camp day, is kids' least favorite part of the program. Whenever we survey them, right. like, oh, I didn't want to go to the park. But then we try and mention to them, maybe we could find some of the stones that we find in Minecraft for some of the different blocks, ah. some of the raw materials when we go to the park. Right. Look for those at the park. And that typically makes them a lot more do, interested. Do you plant any in advance? No. <laughs> I, uh, I really like the idea, because I'm a sci-fi geek, I always have been. I like the idea of a different life where I got into robotics, right? And But now, when you think robotics, at least when I see it, I always see like the, what's the company, Boston Dynamics, right? They have like the war dogs and the, and the dancing like soldier killer robots and stuff that are incredible, but also super duper creepy. What's the reference point for these kids usually when they think robotics? Is that what they're thinking or are they thinking? Uh, well, often when kids come in, they're picturing sort of the, cartoon type robot where you know you see the head with the smile and arms and legs and we teach them that so yeah. many other things are actually robots as well like your laundry machine and you know your smartwatch and we help them learn that there's so many different things around them that are robots and that they can create things like that too that other people can use and we actually teach them to use platforms like the Arduino which is the same platform that was used to prototype the Square credit card reader and the Pebble smartwatch, which are really uh -huh. cool inventions that are widely used now. So it's awesome that kids are able to learn those technologies. We make them accessible to them and then see we are able to see what they go on and create. For example, there was a student who then started a business making and selling audio speakers that he learned to do through our robotics program. Oh, that's great. Here, they're in Toronto? Yes. Do you know the name of his company? Um, I do not. I think it, oh. well, last time I checked in, it was yet to be named, but. Oh, okay. I was going to give him a shout out mm -hmm. if, if he had his company going. Well, let me know. If he gets his, his company going, let the Super Nice Club know. I'm, I love hi-fi stuff, especially if they're wired speakers, you know, not necessarily Bluetooth, but like audiophile quality. I love them because I can't afford them. And it's just a thing to, to want to have. Mm -hmm. You know, pulls me forward through the world. If there's nothing to, to, to want, eh, you know, I want, I want good speakers. Uh, <laughs> back to robots. I did see the other day, last week, when was CES? That was a week, couple of weeks ago, right? The Consumer mm -hmm. Electronics Show? Uh, it was recently. Well, at least it was online. Yeah. But Samsung is working on a robot called Bot Handy that can pick up your laundry, do the dishwasher, set the table, pour wine, bring you a drink. It's, you can recognize objects in your room. I mean, it's like the little butler. It's not quite ready for prime time. Like it's not, they don't have a price tag on it. But that was like really close to Jetson style robot. Well, who was the robot in the Jetsons? Rosie was the robot on the Jetsons. That's yeah. it. Yeah. You know the Jetsons? Yeah, I do. This thing is Rosie. It's super cool. It's called. That's Bahia. amazing. I definitely want one of those. Sign me up. Why are robots so often pitched as the bad guy these days in sci-fi? I don't movies? know. I think whenever people think about new technologies, sometimes there's a tendency to want to think about the bad parts of them. Certainly scary mm -hmm. movies and such are 
quite popular. So maybe the creators are trying to think about how they can position the technologies to make the movies more popular. There's so many great sides to technology as well. For example, right now during COVID, without Zoom and applications like it and the creators of those technologies, where would we be? They've become so critical. We wouldn't be having this podcast right now mm-hmm. where you and I are looking at each other. That's for sure. You know, it's seamless. Shout out to Squadcast if you're into podcasts or thinking about getting into them. Squadcast does a great job. It's true. There's, we definitely get enabled with a lot of this stuff. And the flip side of it, of course, is that, you know, is Zoom surveilling us? This kind of thing. So there's always the fear. I don't know about always, but there's often a fear that goes with these new technologies. And so we have these bad guy robots. I, I, I prefer the non-bad guy robots. They're less scary to me. What about AI? Do you have parents that ask you, do they come to you wondering about the sort of, you know, how Elon Musk is, is trying to scare people about the possibilities that AI will one day take over the world and go hand in hand with our reptilian <laughs> overlords? And I mean, they typically don't call with that exact question, but they are definitely looking to help their oh, kids weird. <laughs> learn AI in a lot of cases. So as part of our coding programs, we yeah. do teach kids AI, for example, how to make a chat bot. So typically kids will make something like, hi, I'm, you know, so-and-so using a fake username, of course, for internet safety reasons what's your favorite color? And then the user will enter a color and then it'll either say, cool, that's my favorite color too, if it is, or if it's a different one, oh, awesome, my favorite color is red. Want to see a picture of my cat? And then it shows a cat picture. So they're making cool chat bots like that and using AI within the video games that they code with us as well. Would you consider the coding for these kids to be uh, a creative outlet, something that would be akin to, you know, young kids who are really into drawing or into creating things. Is, is coding give the same sort of reward from a creative perspective? Absolutely. In fact, we've had a number of families remark to us that before the child may not have felt like they were creative since creativity mm-hmm. is typically associated with writing, music, art, dance, and so forth. Yes. But once they come here, they realize that their interests, which may be more along the lines of engineering, Minecraft, coding, and so forth, are also creative and that they are a creative person because they can make things technologically and that that is also creativity. And we find that, that leads to a significant boost in confidence in a lot of cases. They're certainly creating something from nothing, right? And it's also often dimensionalized or, you know, if not as a robot, it has a motion to it. Like you said, the AI, it talks back to you, which has got to be super rewarding in a wholly different way than than drawing something, which also speaks to you, but, you know, not literally. Yeah, I've noticed that it seems to have a really positive effect with kids. And I think part of the reason why children's mental health professionals have been referring kids to us because of the results they've seen with their clients is I think some of those results are coming from things like the child feeling like they have power over the world. You know, maybe they're not having the most positive social or even academic experience at school, but when they're able to 
code a video game or build something in Minecraft, it it's a way for them to create something that they feel passionate about and feel a bit of power over the world. It's also a way for them to creatively express themselves and also a way for them to connect with other like-minded kids and a chance to exercise their social skills when perhaps they're a bit more distracted with doing something like playing Minecraft, they might be more willing to take social risks that they might then carry with them to their everyday life afterwards. So we've seen a lot of that and heard a lot of great things about that from parents. I was reading something, back to AI for just a second. Evans Data Corporation conducted a survey of 550 programmers. It's been a couple of years. I think it was 2018. And found out that being replaced by artificial intelligence is the most worrisome thing in software programmers' career. I know you must have a response to that. What What do you say to the folks that come to you with that and go, hey, you know, is, is coding really what I should be doing with my kid? Or, you know, they're going to be not needed because super smart robots are going to be doing the coding. It's a really big topic that I've heard about a lot. Not necessarily from parents, but just in general. Mm -hmm. And my response to that is, you know, the there's been so many times throughout human history where there's been fears like this, like the Industrial Revolution mm -hmm. or the introduction of farming machines. Are those going to take away farmhand jobs, for example? But then there become jobs for who's going to create those machines. And I think it's the same with AI. Who's going to create that artificial intelligence or who is creating it? And I think more and more jobs become created. It could get to the point where we end up having more leisure time available and the robots were able, you know, we're able to employ robots to do our work for us. And that's kind of cool too, because it would enable us to, I think, each focus on our highest gifts and our highest areas that we're passionate about that we want to contribute to society. Yeah, that would take that that would take a big cultural reprogramming in terms of, you know, how we how our economies operate and sort of our our expectations of one another and our value systems, you know, we we tie so much of our identity up in our work, right? Uh, it's a whole it's a great conversation to have. But that transition, that transition from as you were saying, you know, one job doesn't necessarily get outmoded. It becomes something slightly different, right? You maybe, maybe you're not uh, on the, 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 the plow team anymore with the horses. You know, maybe now you're working, assembling the tractors or whatever, or, you know, who's watching the watchers. There's always some level of, of uh, transition that we can look forward to. I would imagine that if you are coding and you're expert at coding, whatever happens next, you're going to be best positioned to learn the next thing. And you're going to be the most reliable expert as we move to that next evolution. That's exactly it. We're trying to prepare kids for the careers of tomorrow, which may not even exist today. There's so many stats that talk about how the careers of today are completely different than they were 20 years ago. And I believe that'll certainly continue to be the case in the future. But coding is like a technological superpower that can be leveraged towards mm -hmm. so many different areas. And it seems like it's something that's here to stay as well. 
I mean, perhaps in the future we'll have AIs that are doing coding for us, but those AIs would have been created with code, for example, and will probably spawn off new jobs. So yeah, I think learning coding, it's kind of like learning a second language and it's one of the most important languages to learn today. You're very passionate about this, obviously. So passionate that you started your business around it, Maker Kids. You're passionate about getting kids ready to make a better world. Uh, I think it's, is, is, as you've put it on your site. Uh, when did that passion happen for you? When did you realize, man, this is, this is it. Coding and getting kids ready is what I want to dedicate a lot of my life to. Well, I think it was after I went to this program called Singularity University based at NASA, mm -hmm. where we got to learn about a lot of exponential technologies and how to apply them to different areas like poverty, water, and education. And while we were there, they listed out a number of grand challenges in the world, such as, you know, the environment and security and education. And they asked us to identify which one we wanted to focus on. And I thought about it for a while. And I realized that, as Nelson Mandela says, education is the most powerful weapon that you can use to change the world. Mm. And I believe that leveling up education can level up each of those other different areas and make an impact on those other areas like water and poverty. And so I realized that that's what I wanted to focus on while I was there in that program. And it was after that that I got started with Maker Kids. And I also remembered back to a time in my own life where I was 12 years old and I was disengaged with school. I was being bullied and I was having a hard time in life. And then my teacher said, hey, for this book report, why don't you code a website about it instead of just submitting a book report? So I taught myself to code and I coded a website about Harry Potter and I grabbed <laughs> images from all over the internet, not knowing anything about copyright laws or anything like that. This was in the early days of Harry Potter and the internet. So there okay. really wasn't much out there at that time. And I got a good mark. I forgot about it. I forgot about the project and I moved on with my life. And then a couple months later, my brother came down the stairs holding a magazine and he said, Jen, did you make a site called Jen's Harry Potter? I think I remember you saying that. And I said, yeah, why? He said, well, it got featured in this magazine. And it, no way. Yeah. And it was listed as the most comprehensive Harry Potter image website on the Internet. And when I logged back on, I don't know if you remember those hit counters. Oh, yeah, you, totally. Yeah. yeah, it showed you yeah. how many people visited the site. It had yeah. been hundreds of thousands of people. And people left comments in the guest book like, oh, my God, I love your site. And it was just so empowering for me as a 12-year-old that was wow. otherwise struggling with school and social life and everything. And it totally changed my life. It made me realize I could make things that other people could use and I could be a leader. And I wanted to provide opportunities like that for more kids. That's a great story. I didn't know that. I didn't. There's no. There's no hint of that on the Maker Kids website. Is there? I, I don't I know. So. We've been updating it a bit in the past few days, so I hope it's still there. Well, you seem to have a history of building sites and then not looking at them again, right? So. <laughs> that one in particular, I've been looking just, at a, that's just a how lot you of the roll. past few days, but I'll make sure to emphasize it more on the site. It's a great story. Thank yeah, you. It is. 
there's another story. There's another story I want to hear about, uh, which is I want to hear about your career as DJ Turley. <laughs> nice. Yeah, actually, when I was in university, I stayed the summer after first year in town, and a lot of folks were not staying in town. It was a small university town. So I was looking for things to occupy my time. I dropped by the campus radio station, and they said, hey, do you want a radio show this summer? And I was like, yeah, sure. So through them, I was able to learn how to do a radio show. Mine was called The Community File, talking about community events. And then they also taught me how to DJ. And then I was able to start through them DJing campus events and offered to DJ a few events for free. And then one of my first events went so well that they ended up paying me anyway. And it just kind of snowballed from there. By the peak of it in university, I was DJing four times a week, including for clients like Red Bull and Moosehead. And I also had some residencies on campus. So it was a super fun time. I, I really enjoyed it. Oh, that's really cool. DJ Turley. Are you ever, ever going to get back into that, you think? Is there ever going to be like maybe a, a renaissance? Maybe. When I was living in Chile a number of years ago, I did some DJing at some of the nightclubs there which was really fun. And then more recently yeah. at a Burning Man type festival. So th those were certainly fun. But these days I'm, I'm finding a lot more fulfillment through working on transforming education. So that's my focus now. Okay, I've got some questions from Super Nice Club insiders. Um, we have a little insider community. If you want to ask questions of our guests in advance, uh, you can join the insiders by texting, uh, let's see, text... Text uh, robot to 310-421-0393. 310-421-0393. Got a few questions. We'll just kind of rapid fire through them. From Alex T. in Peterborough, Ontario. That's near you, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was the first one who replied. Funny. He says, I wonder what toys you can use to inspire and teach kids about circuit design and making electronics work. Oh, that's awesome. There's so many cool toys that exist out there there's the osmo sphero osmo is the little guy right yeah yeah, yeah so and cool. little bits is a really good one for circuitry as well you can plug them together with magnets and make all sorts of different circuits or even a guitar and snap circuits is another really cool one too so those are some really good ones for learning about circuitry for kids there you go alex you got you got the answer chris c and wellesley mass What's the right versus wrong side of screen time when it comes to kids? Is having my kid learn to code just asking for her to be part of the matrix? <laughs> That's a really good question. And I would say that there's a huge difference between productive screen time and non-productive screen time. There's yeah. even been a number of studies that have shown that productive screen time isn't counted the same way as non-productive screen time in terms of its effects on kids. So the real difference to me is rather than just passively watching Netflix or watching YouTube, actually using your mind and creating things that other people can use. And that's the real difference between negative screen time. You know, it's of course okay to passively watch something every once in a while, but it's better that the bulk of your time be spent actively creating. 
and seeing how that might change your life and change your world. There you go, Chris. There's your answer. Not going to be part of the matrix. Don't, don't worry. No pills. Uh, Jennifer, wonderful Jennifer N. in Honolulu, what are some of the best programs out there that kids can learn to do JavaScripting and coding? And similar from Andy Z. in Charlotte, uh, what intro into programming would she recommend for an eight-year-old boy who has enjoyed Bitsbox but would like something to help him get started? Okay, awesome. Yeah, well, with Maker Kids, we have a number of programs on coding, robotics, and Minecraft. For grades one to two, we have a program called Mini Makers, where they get an exposure to all three of those topics. And then in grades three to eight, they get to choose one of the topics to specialize in or do all three. And they're a really great introduction where we start off with our beginners level where kids are able to get an exposure to some of the key concepts that they'll need to then go on to our experienced level where they get to work either in a group or at their own pace at their option through some of the projects that we have where they get to do project-based child-centered learning and really get to use their interests to decide what they're going to work on and, and then through that learn those skills through each of the projects. Okay, last question, a little bit of a different type of question from Susan S. in Beaverton, Oregon. Does she have any virtual volunteer opportunities? And is Maker Kids a nonprofit that could benefit from companies that match donations? Oh, great question. We have instructor opportunities. We are a social impact company. So we're technically not a nonprofit. We used to be, but we moved to a for-profit, so a sort of B Corp social impact right. model for a variety of reasons. So we are able to I get use it. our nice club gets that. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. So we're yeah. able to use our um, revenue and profits to support other causes. For example, we've done free programs for kids with cancer, free programs for refugees, reduced fee programs for organizations that support kids on the autism spectrum and a number of other different programs like that. So we do have instructor opportunities, though they're not volunteer opportunities, they're paid. And we are always open to speaking with companies about doing partnerships or programs for their employees or programs that support um, underserved communities. So we've done programs with Google, Twitter, and also partnered with Intel and other companies. Well, that's great. Well, thanks for getting to those. Those are the insider questions for this episode. Again, if you want to ask questions of our guests, just become an insider. Text us. You've got the number. And if you don't remember it, just pause and hit the backup button on whatever whatever player you have. Jennifer, what's your favorite kind of whale? <laughs> well, that's a great question. My favorite type of whale is a... Oh, the name of it is escaping me. It's this one. What's, in it, what's it look like? Western Australia. It Perth. In Perth, yeah, where I used to live. Whale shark. Whale shark. Oh, a whale so shark. One of my, I was just, those are cool. Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite whales is a whale shark. Really cool, huge whale. Used to live in Perth, Australia. So there were whale sharks nearby. At the time, I didn't realize how unique and rare they were. You could you could pay a couple hundred dollars for this 
whale shark snorkeling or scuba tour where a helicopter would go out and spot the whale sharks and then you could, you know, be magically ported near them and snorkel or scuba. I didn't do it at the time, but I would really like to in the future. I just did that two days ago. I went swimming with a bunch of whale sharks. On, wow, I, that's amazing. On my Oculus Quest oh, VR nice. goggles, there was a whale shark video. I'm like, <laughs> what? This is so cool. Um, yeah, so I mean, I didn't really, but I kind of did. So today, we can't really not mention that we're recording this on the day that uh, in the U.S., Joe Biden takes over as president. And so far, so good. So far, so peacefully. I know you're in Canada, but do you pay attention to the what happens with I mean, we have this revolving cast in the U.S. with each president, you know, appoints a new secretary of education. And then you get, you know, different priorities and it's always shifting and moving around. And the kids are sort of the victims of this. Do you have the same in Canada, you know, in terms of how your education program is marshaled through the schools? Does it change a lot or do you have a, a good, consistent approach to how you implement tech in education? I would say we also face a changing face of education, if that makes sense. So we have yeah. different ministers of education that are provincial so one for each province, and how the education gets rolled out varies based on that person. A lot of it has stayed the same in terms of education over the years. For example, our sex ed program was not updated for something crazy like 20 or 40 years, which is, you know, things change faster than that. Mm. So... Yeah. yeah, a lot of it stays the same, but then there's some exciting new developments. For example, now coding is going to be taught as part of the curriculum, which is really exciting and has made families even more interested in their child getting supplementary coding education. Starting at what grade is that? I believe it's starting in kindergarten, actually. Wow. Super no cool. No kidding. Yeah. Kindergarten coders. Wow. That's, oh, yeah. I, I, it's such a foreign language to me that I have no idea. I, I took basic in high school. And what was the next one called? Was it Pascal? Yeah. Was that a language? I think yeah. I learned that back then too. Yeah, I don't remember any of it. I mean, I remember as a computer nerd back in the like 1980, 81, I had a, the modem and, the, and all that kind of stuff early, you know, dialing into these things. And, uh, you know, basic was line 10, line 20, go to 10 and all this stuff it was it was it was yeah a lifetime ago you know it was a lifetime ago and what kindergartners are capable of is so much more than parents believe they're capable of whether it's coding or math or language so it's great to to see them have another opportunity to sort of express themselves right yeah that's that's wonderful speaking of education this is a great segue i love it speaking of education few things educate better than books you have a book coming out, right? Yes, I do. You're writing about this stuff. I want to hear about the book. Sure. The book is called How to Figure Out What to Do with Your Life Next. And oh. it's based on a self-education. <laughs> it's based on a self-education journey that I went on. I was initially working in the corporate world. And I found myself quite dissatisfied and not sure what to do next. So I actually quit my job, flew to Silicon Valley, 
and then cold emailed some of the top founders, investors, and professors, and was able to meet with or shadow with folks like the founders of Airbnb, CEO of Kiva, Stanford Design School, as well as some Stanford professors and other companies and individuals. And I asked them all, how did you figure out what to do with your life? And from there, developed my own process, which helped me figure out that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I wrote about it for Forbes. And the article ended up getting over, at this point, 1.5 million views. And I think it's because so many people search for the term, what to do with my life. And people were asking for more information. <laughs> so I expanded it into the, into a book, which details more about my journey and this career design process, which is based on principles from lean methodology, quantified self, and design thinking. So you're a, you're a young guru. That's what's happening. I see where your path is going. You're starting with the kids. So you have all these acolytes. And then you've got the book to get to the adult. I get it. I like it. This is smart. Yeah, you're, you're, you're building the next tech cult. You're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm all about helping more people find careers that they like, yeah. that they're passionate about, that help the world and that make money. So I wanted to focus on kids because I think childhood is the most formative stage of life. And it's kind of like yep. a golf swing where if you make a small millimeter change at the outset of your swing, it can make a huge impact on the trajectory of where the shot ends up. And then I also wanted to provide information for adults as well that are looking to make a change. So when is the book coming out? Do you have any idea yet? Does your publisher have a, a release yet? Yeah, it's coming out in Canada on March 2nd and in the okay. U.S. on April 6th. And it's available for pre-order on Amazon now. Okay. And the title again? How to Figure Out What to Do With Your Life Next. Okay. So if anybody out there listening hasn't figured out exactly what to do with their life next, I'd recommend going online, typing that book title in, and pre-ordering it. Um, I'm going to do that as soon as I'm done talking here. I'm actually going to um, order how to figure out what to do book. Pre-orders are great. They help boost action. So I want to get a pre-order in now to help you. Uh, it's you. important, you know, and hopefully, you know, and hey, you guys, pre-orders are so important for authors. Pre-orders really help uh, boost interest in the book sales and launch a book correctly. So seriously, if, you're, if, if this is something interesting to you, go online right now, order the book. And I tell you what, I'll give you a super nice club guarantee, which we do. If you order the book and you just absolutely think this isn't for me, I don't like it, we will buy the book back from you at your purchase price and then we'll gift that out to other members so i'm going to put a, a limit on that of the first 20. i doubt that 20 people will order it and not like it but seriously there's a money back guarantee from the super nice club on your purchase of jen's book um i already asked you about your favorite kind of whale you knocked it out of the park fantastic how do people get started with maker kids they, they're listening to this like oh man this sounds great for for my daughter I want to do it. How do they get going on it? How long before from the moment they decide they want to do it until their kid can be running around with, with the other kids in the program? Well, they just head to makerkids.com. So M-A-K-E-R-K-I-D-S.com. And we have free trial classes that they can dive into anytime. And we have them most days of the week. So they should be able to get started immediately. And then from there, they can choose if they want to do one of our 
weekly programs, which is one of our most popular options where they come at the same time each week virtually with the same group of kids. And it's one hour for grades one to two or two hours for grades three to eight. And they're able to learn the technological skills as well as our social and emotional skills that we teach alongside them. And then we also have virtual camps and virtual birthday parties, which have been quite popular too. Oh, cool. So the other kids in the class are all are, are all in on it, right? Yeah, exactly. So they do group projects together and then as part of the experience level have the opportunity to do some individual projects too. But the group aspect is really neat because the kids get to learn to collaborate more. They get to build long-term friendships. Some of them even make nicknames for their own group. Like there's a mm -hmm. Harry Potter fan club that a number of the kids are in that they've created together. Oh, you're together. so proud of that. I like that one, yeah. <laughs> we were just so brainstorming <laughs> ideas for it today, and it was really fun. Um, so that's such a value, too, that, you know, the akin, the, the value of making new friends, even if, you know, your kid's in Florida and some of these kids are in Toronto, when you make these friends, these pen pals, these virtual, and, and they're real, they're not just around a video game, but they're around something that you're learning together, a shared passion, even at a young age, you never know. Some of these kids might stay in touch, go to college together, start businesses together. This is pretty invaluable stuff uh, that you can offer to your kids. I like it. I like it a lot, Jennifer. So way to go. I love Thanks. this. And I, I'll admit, I'm kind of a Luddite, all right? I still use like analog cameras and um, have typewriters and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm you know, kind of a, a tech klutz in a lot of ways. But uh, this is great. This is fantastic. Do you have a super nice challenge, something that you can issue to the listeners, the members of the Super Nice Club, or they, something they can do to make the world around them or just their world a Definitely. little bit Definitely. My super nice challenge is to think about how you can personally transform education, either for yourself, by creating your own self-education journey, or for others, by creating programs or schools that might transform education. Ooh, that is a big challenge. That's a meaty challenge. That might be the meatiest challenge to date <laughs> so far. Took <laughs> Transform education. I, I, I love it because I've long wished that we could have in the United States, not just a third party, but a fourth, fifth, and 10th, but a party that is EFP, education first party. You know, a party that is rooted in education as the 80% of what they're shooting, because everything branches from there, right? So maybe the challenge, if I was going to execute it, an example is to, to launch that party, you know? Take a little bit of work, but I think it'd be awesome. Anybody out there want to help me start the education first party? Give me a shout. <laughs> it would be awesome. Uh, and then lastly, you get to ask a question of me, Jennifer. Any question, you can throw it at me. I'll do my best to answer it. I love the super nice outfit that you're wearing, the super nice gear. And I oh, the red. Okay, I'm wearing the red uh, uh, Adidas uh, Super Nice Club Limited um, track jacket. And what's my hat? Oh, it's a red. Yeah, I, I, I love I'm all it. red today. Yeah. And I was just wondering, nice like, yeah. How did you, I love the super nice brand. How did you come up with the specific branding of it or that red and white and so forth? 
the was it yourself or with an agency or how did it go if you don't mind me asking no of course i don't mind you asking you know this is the part where you get to ask whatever you want um the the logo was something that when i had and i've, I've told the eureka moment of the super nice club a number of times on the podcast but after that eureka moment when i sat down just to come up with a logo uh in my mind i thought i just want something that is not polished or corporate that has a little bit of a throwback maybe sunshine and 70s flair or something uh and i went just grabbed some fonts and, and put this logo together in a few minutes but that wasn't the intention was not to have this be the logo the intention was to send this to my hyper talented great wonderful friend caitlin and she's a designer and i'm like hey see this can you do something like this but good you know like make it like not so messy and she sent it back and said you know what it's so kind of amateur hour and not great that it's awesome she's like i think it's perfect don't touch it i'm like really Okay. And so, you know, so that was it as far as, far as the logo goes, you know, um, in terms of incorporating it into things, that's all me. It's just trying to think of something that would be sort of a fun, a little bit of street flair, a little bit of street fashion, but also um, more just fun, you know. Uh, I would love to do, and I sometimes do do collaborations with artists on shirts uh, I would love to do some hat collaborations with artists. If anybody out there wants to do a collab with Super Nice Club, we do artist collaborations for limited run uh, merchandise, usually usually shirts, just because they offer so much uh, visual area. But I'm open to collaborating with artists on on any type of Super Nice Club swag or gear. Amazing. That answer that. Plus, look, Adidas, the, the, the style is in the Adidas track jacket. It's such an iconic piece. You throw any logo on the other side of it and it looks great, right? It's a sick outfit. So, I want to be think, wearing one of those outfits yeah. right now. Thanks. I appreciate it. Well, you know, um, podcast guests get swag. So, you know, that's follow-up email of this is, hey, is there any swag that's out there? You know, so we can talk about that. Sweet. We can talk about that for sure. Uh, Jennifer Turlock, thanks for being on the podcast and giving so much information about, you know, why kids can learn this. This is my biggest takeaway is just, this is just another language. Even if your kids have no desire to get into technology and to get into coding or robotics, if they're given the gift of this language early on, uh, it's going to be activating the same, uh, circuits probably in their brain that learning any language would which as we know, opens them up to higher intelligence and the ability to digest and, and interpret the world in a, um, you know, with greater perspective, right? And with multiple perspectives. So coding is great just for that, just for that alone. You know, even if you don't think your kid's gonna get into it, it's probably worth it. Coding, Esperanto, you know, great language to learn. Uh, <laughs> Spanish, French, other languages, the more the better, right? Totally. So Jennifer, thanks for being on. Thanks for the talk. Look forward to your book. I really do. I really am going to order it right away. And folks out there, makerkids.com. It's in the show notes. If you have kids and are interested, again, remember she said that there are demo classes. So you can go take some demo classes. Even the demo class will give your kids something to do today. So might as well do it, right? Uh, check it out. She's got a book coming out, which you can pre-order now, which is a super nice thing to do. We'll guarantee it, so no risk. Go ahead, check out the book. And we hope to watch you do all kinds of really cool stuff. And, and we hope to see your kids build amazing robots.
Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Todd. This is awesome. I love the super nice club and you are super nice. So thanks so much. Well, welcome to the club. We're super glad to have you as a member. <laughs> Thank you. So there you have it, a super nice conversation with Jennifer Turlick of Maker Kids. Links to all the stuff that she's doing, her book, are in the show notes. I I got really uh, surprisingly excited about what she's doing. I was interested in her to begin with, but like I said in the intro, I really don't know a lot about this world. And when you don't know a lot about a world, it's something that you get kind of, um, or we, we can get a little bit uh, scared of, you know? So i like, I don't understand that language. What's it going to do for me? And then just listening to her talk, it did, the light bulb went off. Like, you know, my, my kids should. <laughs> just like my kids should speak Spanish. I live in California. Uh, so light bulb, light bulb went off for me. I hope, I hope it did for some of you as well. And I hope that you're interested in, in reaching out to Jennifer and, and, and getting involved with, with her project. Um, next week, we have comic book artist and writer superstar Kare Andrews. Look him up, K A. A-R-E Andrews, if you don't know him already, uh, X-Men, Hulk, Spider-Man, uh, so many Marvel comics and other comics. Kari is also a film director and just an all-around amazing advocate for artists and artist rights and <clears throat> can't wait for you to listen to that episode of Nice Work because it's a great one. In the meantime, be awesome. Be great to yourself. Love yourself. Love everybody around you. And... Stay nice. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could lend a helping hand. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could see your neighbor's band. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could put away your clothes. You can teach everything you know And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice That you just become 10% more nice And all we ask is that you just become 10% more nice So what? Big deal